2: Across the UK, online and on DAB digital radio, Women's Football Weekly with Faker others on Talksport
1: Two. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League, Cleaned off the line by Steph Horton. the UEFA Women's Champions League, and the Euro 2021 qualifiers.
0: Lana Cullen striking from outside the penalty area.
1: World-beating, big-match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Others on TalkSport2. Hello, hello. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly. So much to get through. We're going to be discussing the FA's announcement that WSL academies and girls' regional training centres will be suspended, but many boys' academies won't. Trying
3: to explain to your daughter why, you know, it's one rule for her and one rule for the
2: boys is really difficult.
1: You'll hear from the FA's director of the women's professional game, Kelly Simmons, joins us live. The WSL is back. There's a new team top of the table.
0: And Ella Toon is in! She's done it! Ella Turn for Manchester United! And it's United, that lead.
1: Casey side shine and we finally get to see Alex Morgan take to the field for Tottenham.
4: Just feels good to get back on the field for the first time in more than a year, so i um, happy about that. Obviously, not too happy about the result, but my daughter was here with her Spurs kit, and um, it's fun to look up after the match and see her there.
1: No tea celebration, though, but there is a row brewing over the postponement of the Women's FA Cup. You've been getting in touch throughout the week, so we'll hear your thoughts as well. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Fay Carruthers. Hi, I'm Jordan Knobs, and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2. Thank you for joining us as ever. It's a busy one, so we're going to crack straight into it. And I've got some fantastic guests lined up to talk to you as well. Jess Fishlock, MBE, Reading midfielder, two-time Champions League winner and Wales most decorated player. Good evening to you. Great to have you with us making your debut.
5: Hi, good evening, everybody. Happy to be here.
1: Now let's just explain to everybody why there's always going to be a little bit of a pregnant pause on the end because obviously we're all having to uh, keep our distance at the moment so both Jess and my next guest are on the line so there will be a bit of a delay. We'll have to apologise for that but you know what this technology lark is like at the moment. Molly McElwee, journalist for The Telegraph, also with us. Hi, Faye. How are you doing? Oh, dear. Yours is even worse than Jess's. Blimey. This is going to be fun, isn't it? (laughs) I'll just have to keep quiet and you'll all have to bear with us. Uh, But we'll crack on with the story of the week after the FA confirmed on Friday that Women's Super League Academies and their regional talent clubs will be shut down for the next four weeks because resources don't meet the necessary elite protocols but many boys' academies will continue through the lockdown. Now, it's caused anger, as you would expect, but we wanted to get the FA to explain this on Women's Football Weekly, so I'm delighted to say that the FA's director of the women's professional game, Kelly Simmons, is with us. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. I bet it's been a busy week. It has a bit, yeah. Good evening, everyone. Oh, that's good. Well, you've not got as much of a pause as everybody else, so that's good. Uh, lots to chat to you about, including the FA Cup and, of course, a COVID issue as well regarding Bristol City women this weekend. But let's start with the WSL Academies and RTCs. Um, I just want you, firstly, to hear what some parents, girls, and fans who listen to Women's Football Weekly think.
3: Totally, utterly bang out of order. I think, on a personal level, every child should have access to the same level of facilities, no matter the gender or race, it shouldn't be one has more than the other just because of financial investment by a particular club or a particular side. It's just not right for me. I think it's disgraceful. It's important, I think, especially since we've had the whole lockdown, now we've had lockdown too, that we keep getting um, girls playing football. So when I saw that the academy, the under-21 girls, would, would be paused for a month, obviously, I was really disappointed. Most of us found out from watching the news and the government talking about it, and then... We're on our Tuesday session, they told us that football was going to be stopping and that we'd have four weeks off. To hear that the boys were carrying on was—it was kind of annoying. As there isn't really a difference in us because we are in the elite talent pathway as well. Trying to explain to your daughter why you know it's one rule for her and one rule for for the boys it, it is really difficult. I would call on them to look to invest in the RTCs, the training academies of all the clubs in the Women's Super League Championship, National League and below, just to make sure that every child has the same access and the same rights. By not having the RTCs playing and I mean, this lockdown could go on for two, three months, we don't know but not allowing them to play and saying Premier League's elite but WSL isn't, academies, it's just ridiculous for me. Personally it's, it's a bit frustrating when Boys can carry on, yeah. girls can't, because I feel like if you wanted to stop football, you could stop it all as one and not just one for one person and one for the other. I think I'd just like them to explain to me what the difference is so that then I could explain it to my daughter. They have invested, and and I do believe they're trying to do the right thing, but I don't believe anything that they've given so far in way of an explanation explains the rationale sufficiently.
1: Thank you to Emma, to Ellie, to Adam and to Natalie uh, for giving us their opinions. Kelly Simmons, the FA's Director of the Women's Professional Game, is with us. Now, we all know the challenges that the Women's Game faces and you know nobody envies the job that you have in trying to make sure things are as equal as possible. But the main thing that everybody we spoke to wanted to, to ask, exactly as was just said in that last answer, what actually is the difference between boys and girls?
2: Sure. Well, first of all, you know I completely understand their anger and disappointment, and it tugs on the heartstrings to hear that that girls can't play. And nobody can disagree with those principles uh, around wanting equality and every child to have the same rights. The the reason for the difference is it, with the Super League and the Championship. Obviously, we came back under elite protocols, and um, you know Jess will know how much work goes in uh, into the clubs to to make that happen. With the academies and the uh, RTCs. Uh, the girls youth academies um, in agreement with the clubs they come back under grassroots protocols so obviously when um, grassroots sport was closed down by the government under lockdown that meant that those under grassroots protocols had to close down I mean the challenge um, that we've got here is is resource you know it's, um, it's human and financial resources um, a significant amount of work um, to put those protocols in place um, medical uh, the need uh, medical Officers to oversee uh, the protocols dealing with symptoms, dealing with positive tests, uh, players coming back in, um, the daily uh, testing that goes on, and questionnaires to make sure that environment's safe. There's a whole lot that goes in around that 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 isn't in place currently in uh, across the board in girls' academies and RTCs. So, um, so that that's why we're in sort of a different place from some of the boys' academies. The um, the bigger uh, richer clubs I suppose the category one and two academies are still operating uh, they're in an educate. they've got an education partner they're in an education environment the um, academies lower down in the, the EFL uh, three and four have closed down as well for the same sorts of challenges around resources so it, it very much is sort of a resource issue we've been talking to the clubs today about can they come back um, under elite protocols and, and what that might take to be able to to bring those academies back
1: how, how close are you to, to that being possible
2: look i i can't commit to to how many we can get back and when we will work with the clubs they've all got different levels of resources and staff some for example have got an academy site where that facility might be shut down because of um covid um because of the lockdown rather uh, over the next three or four weeks so they've all got really different scenarios and different access to full-time resources the biggest challenge for the clubs is getting uh The medical lead to oversee all of the uh, the elite protocols that's a really uh, big challenge, you can imagine getting hold of doctors at the moment um, with time is really, really challenging to be able to come in and oversee this.
1: Yeah, I completely understand, and I understand all the challenges as well. Uh, Jess is uh, Jess Fishlock, of course, Wales and Reading midfielder. Um, I'm going to ask the question for her because we've got a slight delay on, on the lines at the moment, but um, she wants to know why the decision was to come back under grassroots only when when you know, there are some that are elite. Yeah,
2: it's, it's budgets. It's budgets, it's human and financial resources uh, in the programme, so um, obviously Jess will know the sorts of levels of staffing around the first team, uh, including medical staff and the amount of work that went in a in number of weeks to make sure that environment was absolutely safe for, for the players coming back. And we cannot compromise on safety, um, but uh, in the elite protocol, so the Super League and Championship, you know, they've got access to medical staff. Every day those players are coming in, they'll have temperature checks, uh, there'll be questionnaires. Um, we've, got, we've had a number, as you know, a number of players who've got symptoms or have tested positive, making sure we deal with that really robustly to protect the safety of the players. So that sort of medical staffing was, um, and, and that whole wraparound really was was one of the reasons why um, just like uh, in lower down in the men's game and, and in some of the youth development programs in the men's side, they felt they could have those uh, elite protocols. It's part of the problem, Kelly, that
1: there's too much of a comparison between men's and women's football at the moment, when actually they're not at a level playing field, and that's exactly what you're trying to to, to do at the FA
2: yeah i mean i understand why but um obviously the premier league's a multi-billion pound uh, industry and the the men's game they've been able to invest millions of pounds into their academies with world-class training facilities that are secure and can be locked down in these sorts of situations um with a lot of full-time staff um and the resources to run this sort of thing now obviously the women's game needs to get resources, get partners, grow its revenue to, to, uh, to be able to, to do some of the stuff that we're talking about you know, even better with more resources.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about the FA Cup as well. Obviously, the first round was due to get underway on the 15th of November. The women's first round, not though classed as elite. All 24 sides are from the fourth tier or below. So it's therefore suspended during this four-week lockdown that the country's in. But the men's competition, the argument is, has uh, 10 non-elite teams competing, is allowed to continue. Um, You've kind of explained that, In terms of the academies, I'm assuming that applies as well with the FA Cup, Kelly. Um, Is that right?
2: Yeah, well, we're in a different stage in the Women's FA Cup. So we're in the very early rounds still in the women's side. We've got three rounds, which is 100% grassroots clubs. And some of these clubs, you know, in the very early stage are very, very local clubs run by, you know, one or two volunteers. Um, From looking at the analysis, we think about 75% of them have had their ground shut through lockdown. So they won't have anywhere to play. even less likely to have anywhere to train and we've got time to for, you know if the lockdown lifts uh, early December we've got time to play those rounds before the real sort of pressure point in terms of the professional game um, when the Super League and the Championship come in at the end of January so uh, I know some of the clubs have sort of been lost in the in the noise have tweeted uh, as I believe uh, I haven't been trawling Twitter you <laughs> can Um, But they think it's the right decision, because ultimately, if we put those games on, those clubs are expected to play. Otherwise, obviously, you know, they can lose the tie through not being able to compete. And we think that most of them wouldn't be able to do that. So it's only fair on them to put those games in early December when they can compete and win on the pitch.
1: Yeah, I I get your point there. Absolutely, I do. Um, Molly McElwee from The Telegraph wants to ask whether, because she's making the comparison, um, that some people are upset because the boys' FA Cup ties are going ahead this month, while the women's senior FA Cup won't, and and that's maybe not a great look.
2: No, I appreciate that the optics on it, both with the men's FA Cup and um, and what will be happening in the youth, where, uh, I guess, where those clubs that can meet the elite protocols are operating but I think it comes back to we've got a duty to those clubs in the round. You know, the, grass, the great thing about the Women's FA Cup is it's you know it's grassroots right through to you know Chelsea, Arsenal, Reading etc mm. and um, you know we've got responsibility to give those clubs a chance. I think if we had scheduled those games um, and forced those clubs to play and the majority of them were uh, shut down in lockdown I think we'd be having a really another but a, a different uh, and tough conversation about the fairness of that too. Yeah, I mean,
1: these are all difficult conversations, aren't they? Because no matter what decision you make, there's going to be somebody upset, no no matter what you do. So you're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I think
2: yeah. everybody
1: does understand that. Uh, but, you know, having questions answered is, is really important. And actually, Molly adds an additional thing on this. She says on academies, I guess, uh, do you feel that, the blame is being unfairly placed with the with the fa on the academy's shutting and the women's fa cup decision when actually government guidance could also be to blame and clubs who are involved in the funding of their academies as well
2: well i think we've all got a responsibility to try and find a way to um, to bring the academies back and to find more resources to the academy you know there's no doubt the clubs are investing significantly in professional women's football and that you know a lot of that money's coming from the men's side as we know at the moment so um you know i think we've sort of all got a responsibility to keep driving forward to get get the investment to to make these changes um
1: just finally jess Bishlock has a really quick question for you just bear with me with the with the delay on this jess okay you want me to
5: ask this one yes please i was just wondering how hard, by the way um and, yeah, I completely understand that, like you say, I, I know the protocols that we go through um, at WSL level with regards to testing and the rules and regulations to ensure everyone's safe, and I understand that. Um, and in in the long run, with regards to the kind of youth game here and and lower level of, of, of the women's game, I completely agree with the fact that you can't compare the... lower level really or any women's the women's game with the men's game you you just can't do it you're never going to get what they have it's a multi-billion dollar business so do you think that the mentality on how we run youth here needs to change then it needs to be different you know you if you can't compare them then why are we trying to do parallel youth systems and and youth pathways because you know i spoke to um, a couple of academies this week is when I knew I was coming on the show, and they kind of say that, you know, they probably have more boys in their academies, but in the girls' academies, they probably have more actually international players because the majority of these academies have youth internationals. But so they're probably more elite, but obviously they don't come under elite, so they can't train. So do you think that maybe we then need to change the mentality surrounding that and come up with a different way? for the youth setup to work so those players can become elite
2: if that makes sense yeah no no it does i mean i think you know festival clubs are doing a terrific job um developing uh, young players and we could see you know some of the the fantastic uh, english youth players and young players coming through into into the wsl and the, the england side so i think you know we need to sort of give it that, that context really um i mean and, you know, we, we do need more investment you know i think um have you know, if you asked Sue Campbell, myself, anybody involved, the clubs who are trying to operate those academies, um, we do need, you know, we desperately need more to grow revenue and be able to put more investment in this area. And it's a big priority in the new women's football strategy. So, um, but I do think, you know, the clubs is the best place for the development of talent. Um, that's where the expertise is. That's where the facilities are. That's, you know, that's who we should be working with to, to provide these academy uh, programs um, but you know we, we desperately need more human uh, and financial resources to, to help when we have these sorts of situations where um, we need really you know additional expertise and staff on yeah. the ground to to enable the players to come back.
1: It's a really it's a really good point and a really big problem isn't it before you go Kelly because I know you're a really busy woman and thank you so much for your time this evening it's it's massively appreciated having you on to, to address all these concerns uh, but one other thing that came up over the weekend on Saturday Bristol City women asked the FA to postpone um, their game against Manchester City that they went on and lost 8-1 in the end because one of their players had coronavirus symptoms lived with four other players from the first team and so all five had to self-isolate which left them in a bit of a predicament i know a few clubs tweeted about it a few people unhappy uh, you know questioning perhaps why they weren't allowed to postpone whereas a few weeks ago aston villa were given two weeks of postponed games can you just explain the rationale behind that
2: sure yeah i mean so i think some of the tweets i did see on this was um concerns on safety let me sort of reassure you safety is absolutely paramount um the clubs are did to the protocols um, when a player tests positive or they have symptoms that player is removed uh, and anybody that with close contact uh, is removed now that's the elite protocols that means that then with the testing and all of the uh, best practice in place that means that football in this case can carry on it's no different whether you're in the, the premier league uh, the efl or other sports under elite protocols that's they're set up so that we can carry on uh, and play those games so there's no sort of safety concerns. We made that decision in conjunction with our chief medical officer and with our uh, lead on protocols and we were very comfortable that that continues. Um, So you know our priority obviously we've got to balance um, health and safety comes first and we'd never compromise on that but also we want to get the league completed. We don't want to be in a situation again where we're using a points formula to conclude it so we've got to sort of balance off um, you know wanting to get The games away I don't I think it's fair to say that in the that no other uh, football league um, and we've seen some redepleted sides, uh, you know, and it's really tough going off to play UEFA men's Champions League games, etc, that I don't think that in the situation and the facts that we had that anybody would have cancelled that game
1: great thank you so much Kelly Simmons the uh, FA's so director of the professional women's game thank you much appreciated you coming on and answering all those questions um, we will dissect that after this you are listening to women's football weekly on talk sport 2 I'm Faker Others, alongside Wales and Reading midfielder Jess Fishlock and Molly McKelvey from the Telegraph uh, thank you as well to Kelly Simmons for explaining everything from an FA perspective uh, too uh, now then if you miss any or want to listen to uh, again to any of women's Football Weekly shows you can go to our podcast it's available on the Talksport app so download it today uh, next up we'll continue discussing the position the women's game finds itself in plus there's a new team topping the WSL table
4: on DAB plus online via the Talksport app and on your smart speaker
1: women's football weekly on Talksport 2 the home for women's football This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 with Faker Carruthers, Wales Most Decorated Player, Jess Fishlock and Molly McElwee from The Telegraph. Uh, now then, we just were very lucky to have the FA's Director of the Women's Professional Game, Kelly Simmons, on with us. So we'll have a quick chat about what she said. Jess, what did you make of uh, of Kelly's thoughts on the academies and the RTC programmes?
3: Yeah,
5: look, I think... You know, I think everybody here knows just how how hard the women's game has to work um, to kind of get its viewership and get its money and get get its investment. And you know, we're kind of fighting an upward battle with that, and we're always going to need more money and we're always going to need more investment. And I think everybody kind of knows that. I guess I I just feel, and I have no doubt that the FA are doing everything that they can do to kind of make that better. I just feel that if you know, if if that's what you want, but you don't quite have it yet, and, you know, it's what we're working towards, and, and that's fine. But until you get to that place, if if it's not quite working, which I don't think it is right now, otherwise kids, would, girls specifically, would be able to continue their development, then you just have to think differently, and you have to find a way for them to come under a lead so they can continue to train. And I, I don't know what that is, you know, I mean, I'm not on the board or anything, but... You have to sit down and instead of going, you know, we'll just make them grassroots and now these rules are coming in. So, like, don't worry about they just can't do it. You almost have to think differently and go, okay, well, how can we make sure that these girls still train? And so then that will change the way that you do their programs or do their pathways, at least for now. So their development is not halted because, you know, women's sports and women's football specifically, you know, we're behind on this development part anyway and so now these girls are even more kind of falling behind because rather than going okay well under the current protocols they're not elite so they just won't train you go okay well how can we make them elite right now what do we need to do how can we make that happen and i feel like you know the fa kind of did that with central contracts right there was not much money in women's football so how can we make the england national team a priority Will have central contracts. It's really proactive thinking, um, and it's done wonders, right? Great wonders with mm. the national team. I just think that maybe they need to kind of have a, a more proactive approach when it comes to the youth development kind of pathway right now. If the investment that they need is just not there,
1: and this is the issue, isn't it? It is about investment. But you know, at some point, as Jess mm-hmm. made the point to me earlier on, uh, Molly. Money you know it can't just be the only reason why this isn't happening
3: yeah i think I think we can appreciate obviously the f a is kind of like all kind of sports bodies are in the middle of a pandemic and and trying to feel their way through it as well, but i mean yeah it's money's not the only thing, and I guess also it's also. It's bad to say, but it's kind of it is as much about optics on some level, because what what do you say to these girls when you when you hear those those parents kind of talking about their their daughters and how they're kind of confused why are the boys carrying on at the same facilities that I train at when I can't carry on? It doesn't really make sense and it's hard for an adult to make sense of it. Um and then I think when you look at what happened at Bristol City at the weekend, which I don't think is an entirely separate issue because they were down five players what happens if down three week in three weeks time there's another club down five or six players and they might need to call upon academy players and what if they need more than two academy players what if they need I don't know it just it just brings up a lot of issues um going into the next few weeks even for the first team, I think.
1: Yeah, loads of issues. And the thing is, a lot of them just aren't solvable at the moment in this particular um, situation that we find ourselves in. But, you know, it's stuff that has to be talked about and has to be sorted out in some way. And actually, I'm quite grateful that we actually still have football itself to talk about because we could have been Mm. in a situation where we have no WSL, we have no championship at all, and at least we do have two leagues uh, running. Um, And actually, let's just get into the football, shall we, and talk about some happier topics uh, because there's a new side top of the WSL table.
0: And Ella Turn is in! She's done it! And team for Manchester United! And it's United that lead!
1: Yes, it's about state, it's about being there at the end of the season.
3: You know, and it's one game, it's one win, but it's, it's an important win for us.
0: United were the better team, definitely
5: better in, in terms of uh, nullifying us playing, but they also played and, uh, and over the 90 minutes
2: deserved to win.
1: So Ella Toon's late strike means the fifth win in a row for Casey Stoney's side. They're still unbeaten this season, but ended Arsenal's 100% start. 29 goals in their opening five WSL wins for Arsenal. And Joe Montemuro there saying they were beaten by the better side. What didn't click for them, Jess?
5: Uh, You know, in truth, I haven't quite um, watched the game, but also I, I don't feel like I'm I'm um, that surprised right now, just I feel Arsenal have been really struggling with injuries lately. And when you have the likes of Kim and Joel out, I think it loses a little bit of their
1: momentum. Casey Stoney thought that Arsenal should have been reduced to 10 early in the second half. Lota Moy tackle on on Leah Galton. Was that a red for you, Molly? Mm, I think it looked like a red to me and I think it looked like a, like a
3: red to a lot of people. Um, yeah, um, K- Casey was not happy with that either.
1: No, she definitely wasn't. But Manchester United do top the WSL table for the first time ever. Jess, could they win it this season?
5: Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of teams that are going to um, spoil some parties this year. I think it's going to be kind of a, a league of which team is the most consistent. And I think you know, I got a great chance. I really do.
1: Yeah, I think everybody thinks that as well. It certainly feels this season as if the the traditional top three are being broken into, if you like. Uh, However, uh, Chelsea will not want their party pooped, that's for sure. And they were 4-0 winners over Everton after a strong start to the season. Everton blown away by Chelsea and blown away by Beth England. (laughs) So even more emphatically, comes back to Cuthbert. Brilliant save by McKeever onto the bar, but it will be bundled in.
2: And Chelsea have their third. It's another for Bethany England. I think Emma really emphasised on us in this game is taking shots. Um, I don't think we've been taking
1: enough shots this season. So when you get in and around those areas, just, just to have a go and take your chances and thankfully that one not come off. She always says it so humbly. Thankfully, it came off as if it wouldn't. 21 goals last season. Uh, Selection headache, though, for Emma Hayes, because Beth England's had to spend a lot of time on the bench with all these new signings, Molly.
3: Yeah, definitely. It was was interesting, actually, after the game to hear Emma's thoughts on it, because obviously two two goals, two assists from Beth England. You're thinking she's going to be kind of, yeah, um, praising her uh, no end. but. Emma was kind of keen to make sure she said, listen, you've got to work hard every week to get into this team. And that's the truth when, you've, when you're bringing Sam Kerr off the bench, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the advantage, isn't it, that Chelsea have over everybody else, that strength in depth that they have, Molly?
3: Yeah, and I think I think it's something that um, Everton maybe kind of struggled with, I guess, because they, they had Valerie Govan and Lucy Graham out of the their squad because of injuries from the FA Cup final. Um, they had, they've had 11 goals between them over the, last, over, the, uh, over the start of the season. So both their top goal scorers out, it meant Everton were kind of yeah already on the back foot before they started, I thought.
1: Yeah, they massively, massively missed those two players. Govan in particular has just been superb this season. That's now two defeats in a row, including last weekend's FA Cup final. Bit of a hangover from that, Jess, or is it just the injuries?
5: No, I think so. I think especially the way that the FA Cup kind of panned out, you know, Everton were in there right until um extra time in the last kind of minute. So I even think mentally a little bit that um will will drain them and then yeah, add the add the injuries on top of that. But I also think with Everton, you know, they had a nice little start to the season. They had a pretty good um fixtures to get their momentum going. And, you know, these last two games they've come up against City and Chelsea. So maybe we're kind of seeing it flatten off a little bit.
1: Mm. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2, hearing the thoughts of Wales' most decorated player Jess Fishlock and Molly McKelvey from The Telegraph. I'm Faker Others. If you miss any of the show, you can catch up by downloading the Talk Sport app and subscribing to our podcast. Just search Talk Sport Women's Football Weekly. At coming up on the only dedicated national radio show for women's football, Morgan makes it on the pitch and Man City mow down Bristol. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash achieve today. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others from Talksport 2 you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football, with me, Faker Others, alongside Wales and Reading midfielder Jess Fishlock and Molly McElwee from The Telegraph. Don't worry, Jess, we are getting to your game shortly, but I'm just going to finish rounding off all the Sunday uh, matches. Birmingham 1, West Ham 2. Emily van Egmond's second-half header, earning West Ham their first win of the season, coming from behind to beat Birmingham. In normal circumstances, we'd get Matt Beard on uh, to talk to him about their first win of the season. But unfortunately, we're so packed today, we can't quite squeeze another line on the desk. So, uh, Claudia Walker scoring at both ends for Birmingham, an unfortunate day for her. But a decent game in the end, and, and they deserved uh, their first win of the season, didn't they, Molly?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think they've been kind of edging closer to that. Um, yeah, I didn't catch all of it. I watched kind of some of the highlights from it, but Emily van Egmond getting her third goal, I think, in in as many games, which is pretty pretty good start for her. So good a good way for them to kind of push on.
1: Mm, they needed that, didn't they? As a bit of a boost, Jess. Yeah, I think I,
5: could, I kind of think every team right now is kind of finding their feet um, and really wanting to pick up as many points as they can early on in this season um, as the schedules just keep getting more packed and packed.
1: Yeah, it is getting a little bit like that, isn't it? Um, Aston Villa also got their first win of the season and their first in the WSL. Goals from Anita Asante and Ramona Berger meant that they were 2-0 winners over Brighton, Molly. Yeah, that was a great goal
3: from Anita Asante, wasn't it? It was really great to see them get their first win, I think, uh, I think seeing them kind of struggle in the first couple of weeks um, to get going in in, in the top division um, you kind of want it to pay off for, for, for Gemma Davies because of all of the kind of hard work she's put into this team to get them where they are so yeah good to will be good to see how that they can take that kind of confidence into the derby this weekend.
1: Mm, what have you made of them so far Jess?
5: Yeah, I think well, well, I agree. It's great to see Neat's back uh, and scoring a goal. What a finish that was! Um, so I'm happy for her. And I think yeah, with with um, with Villa, you know, I think the manager has them wanted to play a very kind of specific way. Um, and whenever that kind of pans out into a into a result, so your performance is good, and then you get the result, it always feels good and and will give you great motivation um, to kind of go on a on a run you know so i think i think a lot of teams will would would have enjoyed this weekend in truth
1: yeah definitely and we've got women's football weekend next week as well to look forward to and the first ever WSL West Midlands derby molly yeah
3: i think that that's going to be a fun one to to, to kind of match up it's just in terms of just chatting to kind of Gemma Davies and 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 Carlo, that they they're doing so much for for those two squads, and you you just you kind of want to root for them both because um yeah because of the kind of the hard job that that Birmingham have ha- have had at the beginning um kind of over the summer and how they kind of are shaping up now um yeah you you see them improving and you kind of want want them to do well, but equally I think Villa's win at the weekend could kind of push them on hopefully to do do, do, do some. Yeah, do some damage this Mm. weekend.
1: Yeah, on Sunday, there were two games, um, on Saturday even. Oh, God, don't even know what day of the week (laughs) it is at the moment. I think everybody's feeling a bit like that. Uh, Tottenham won, Reading won. Jess, you obviously were part of this game. Brooke Chaplin put Reading ahead before Ash Neville equalised. Spurs, though, still without a WSL WSL win this season. What did you make of them as opponents?
5: Yeah, I think that, you know... for me they're kind of in the same bracket bracket as villa two they're kind of finding their feet and want to play um a very specific way uh, i think we were a little bit disappointed I actually think we played well during the game and, and probably could have come away and should have come away with with the three points we created some great opportunities that we needed to to finish really um but i think it, i think you know if anybody had been able to watch it or if they did watch it they would have would have enjoyed it and thought it was a a good game um i know that like we were really i was really tired to be honest with you because we played late wednesday night and then saturday day and i was you know the it, the schedule is also um really really difficult right now so i think that always plays a part in in these games
1: yeah very much how how are you assessing your club season so far, obviously you're on loan at, at Reading. How have you, have you fitted mm-hmm. in with the team and, and how do you assess your season? How's it going to, how's it going to pan out?
5: Yeah, I um, actually really enjoy it at, at Reading. I like the group, um, the group from the kind of playing perspective. It's a, it's a really good group and we have a lot of potential. I don't think we've kind of got anywhere near that Yeah. Um, but what I what I will say is I actually think that these last two results that we've had this week are probably not really reflected our performances. And our performances have been good with regards to what we're trying to do and what we want to do. And sometimes when you're going through a a, a process, um, you have to kind of take positives from that. And I think we're actually playing better football now and, and are a better team right now than we were, say, at the beginning of the season when we were picking up wins, we're probably not playing very well. Mm. Um, And I always think that if you're going to go on, you're going to have a process. And that's what Redden are doing with the players that they've brought in. They've made some really, really good signings. And that's going to take time. So if you look at that, then I'd say this week was actually a really positive one. obviously if you look at results people will go well she doesn't know what she's talking about but I've been in a lot of teams (laughs) that obviously have a long vision and and play the long game and with regards to Reading I think this week will kind of We'll add the wins to our, our performances and then I think you'll see us start to climb.
1: Yeah, playing the long game is definitely very important and that's certainly what uh, World mm-hmm. Cup winner Alex Morgan has had to do because arguably the headline of the day was her making her WSL debut 56 days after joining Tottenham and six months after giving birth to her daughter, Charlie. Uh, she spoke to Spurs TV after the game.
4: It just feels good to get back on the field for the first time in more than a year so i um, happy about that obviously not too happy about the result but um i just had to start to get some minutes and build from there so i um, pretty happy that this is you know a good starting point i felt like uh there was definitely a lot more sprints <laughs> than in training and um and yeah i mean i'll get used to it pretty quickly but uh Obviously, once I came in, it was more of a transition game, so less position-oriented. So I'm looking forward to getting into more of the game to settle in a little bit better because, yeah, the end of the match was uh, pretty back and forth. Going down 1-0 was... um, you know, obviously disappointing, but getting the the goal back from the set piece was important. Um, Ash getting that was really happy for her. Um, our back four had like a pretty great game, so they kept us in it. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we got enough chances um, to really put ourselves ahead of Reading, but um, we'll work on that and look forward to the next match.
1: Alex Morgan, there speaking to Spurs TV after that game. We've been waiting for her for a long time, Molly. Yeah, God, I think. Um...
3: It was becoming a bit of a running kind of joke, and on on Alex Morgan, watch every every week. Everyone's kind of like, is it this week? Is it this week? But I guess in all seriousness, though, she she did only give birth a few months ago, and it is amazing to kind of see her out there and to to be able to kind of get back to doing what she's doing, and hopefully we'll get to see a little bit more of her. She couldn't really get into the game that much. Um, like I think she was saying, there um there weren't many chances for her to get. Too involved for the twenty or so minutes that she was on the pitch.
1: Jess, I'm just wondering. Um, bearing in mind you've come over from from Rain on loan to to Reading, and there's been loads of other mm-hmm. NWSL players who've come over to the WSL this season. Have you spoken to many? Have you spoken to Alex mm-hmm. to see how she's fitting in, and some of the others?
5: No, I saw Alex on Saturday during the game, obviously, and she came in for a corner actually. and I, and I said to her you know it's great to see you back and 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 it is you know I have a lot of respect for Alex I played against her for you know the last kind of 8 years and she really is um she's a she's she's a great player and often really doesn't get a lot of credit that she deserves for her kind of overall play but she's actually a great person as well her and her husband and obviously so happy um that she's got a baby now and and coming back and her mentality to come over here to make sure that she's getting back playing um I think is just phenomenal and, and sums up just how elite she is but yeah I've spoken to a few of the girls that are over um you know a couple a few of the Aussies specifically um you know we kind of all know each other so we all kind of talk and Rachel daily and that we talk, talk about what it's like being back and etc etc you know we just have a good old good old chit chat
1: and what is it like being back it's cold for <laughs> one i that think cold all of us are of year. really trying to <laughs> and what everyone
5: keeps saying um so yeah i think we're all trying to deal with the 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 weather and and also the the scheduling which which is which is tough um but yeah, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Like without fans and stuff, you're never really going to get the true kind of atmosphere that that England has that you, you know, notoriously hear about. Um, but I think, you know, the girls are just enjoying playing football now and enjoying experiencing something new and different. And that's always fun. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody's in enjoying it but I guess the circumstances are just you know it's just it's just difficult to really get the full kind of um package
1: experience I know exactly what you mean and but certainly we're we're enjoying watching you mm. all play just one last game to wrap up which we'll do very mm-hmm. quickly Manchester City 8 Bristol City 1 Bristol City as we mentioned earlier without five first team players they followed self-isolation guidelines uh, by the way as I understand it Uh, they still have not had their test results back yet. And I'm going to ask you very quickly about that, Jess, Um, because one of the players had COVID symptoms and so self-isolated. They lived with four other players. They'd asked the FA to postpone the match. Kelly Simmons has explained exactly why that was denied. Uh, Sophie Bagley uh, scored an own goal to put uh, Bristol City ahead. Ebony Salmon scored... um, uh, a couple of minutes later and then just before half-time the floodgates opened Coombs Walsh Bronze made it 4-1 at half-time then Stanway Becky and two Alan White goals made it 8 so another heavy defeat for Bristol City women this season and obviously made worse on Sunday with both West Ham and Aston Villa getting their first wins of the season Um, but just on the testing Jess very quickly how long is it taking for test results to come back because as I understand it the player in question had her test on Saturday Morning. It's now Monday and they haven't had the results back yet. And that to me, in elite protocols, seems insane. Yeah, that's wild. Um, I think
5: we get ours back within twenty four hours. Um, I think actually when we're on Welsh camp, we get it back within twenty-four hours. Um, but yeah, with Redin, I think it's I think it's twenty-four hours. Um in truth, we don't really get told like you're negative, we just assume if we're not told that we're positive, then we're negative, yeah, um, but you know, I think it can't it's it, it's a really difficult one for me this whole week for Bristol. I actually feel you know if I was them, I'd feel really aggrieved because you know I keep talking about the schedule. Bristol played on Thursday evening and Saturday morning, and then within that process lost five players, yeah, and still played I know I personally just one playing on Thursday and then playing on Saturday is just quite barbaric um and really not good for for the game itself or the or the, the women and their kind of fitness and their health and their conditioning um and then also if you add on the fact that they lost five of their players during that you would just think that common sense would say okay we'll just postpone this game um so I do feel like Bristol kind of have warrant to feel really aggrieved. Um, But like Kelly says, if they follow the, the elite protocols, then I don't it's really hard. You're kind of in, in the rock and a hard place, you know, with, with mm-hmm. how you're supposed to kind of feel and react.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's so difficult. Uh, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Fay Carruthers alongside Wales and Reading midfielder Jess Fishlock, who we were just hearing from, and Molly McElwee from The Telegraph. Uh, next, we're shining our spotlight on Wales' most capped player and our guest today, Jess Fishlock, MBE. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Carruthers on Talk Sport 2. <laughs> This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Carruthers and keeping you company with me is Molly McElwee from The Telegraph and Wales and Reading midfielder Jess Fishlock. Now then, every week this season we're picking a person, a club organisation or an event from the world of women's football to shine our spotlight on. We also want you to come up with some suggestions of whose story you'd like to hear but today we're shining our spotlight on Jess Fishlock MBE. I'm afraid there is no This Is Your Life music Jess and I really wish we had more time as well because there is so much to discuss with you you're obviously a two-time champions league winner you've played all around the world as well um what perhaps do we all not know about you that you would like us to know about you (laughs) i don't think there's anything
5: that you don't know that i would like you to know (laughs) um i think other than that everything is quite quite open
1: So, obviously, you ply your trade usually in in the United States. You've been out there, as you said, for for eight years now. What made you want to come back to the WSL?
5: Uh, You know, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to come back. Um, I think, obviously, I did my ACL on my knee and that was a long process in in coming back. And it it meant that I hadn't been home for over a year, which is a long time for me because I'm a bit of a home gal um add 2020 onto that and covid and and everything and i think it was just you know really good timing as you'll see with everybody that's kind of come over here it was really good timing to come over and 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 be here for like six six to eight months or whatever um because it just, it just kind of worked with with the world really and world world of women's football so you know i i When I knew that it was gonna fit in, I didn't really hesitate or think twice because I love being home. Um, I love being close to my family again. um, And I'm really enjoying my time at Reading. So, you know, it just kind of fitted in.
1: You're quite an iconic character in lots of ways, always very outspoken for uh, many different kinds of rights. Megan Rapinoe obviously is a teammate of yours over in the United States. How much of an influence has, has she been on on you as a teammate, um and around the world as well. Yeah, huge. I
5: think, you know, I I think Megan is is fantastic. Not, you know, on the field I think she's great. Obviously I've been a teammate for, you know, almost a decade now and to watch her kind of become the player that she is or always was is great. But I think more importantly for me that watching her grow into the the kind of person that she is um, and everything that she kind of stands for and fights for. um, is just incredible. And it is an inspiration, you know, and of course, when you see that every single day, and you get to have these conversations with her and how she thinks, um, you know, of course, it rubs off. And of course, it wants you to do to do better, you know, and, and kind of be better because that's kind of, she's infectious
1: like that. Mm. Um, let's talk Wales very briefly. Um, we've been following your performances in, in the uh, European qualifiers. Uh, how optimistic are you feeling? Yeah,
5: it, it's a tough one now. I think it's kind of out of our hands, which is always, um, hurtful actually, I think this campaign and mm. having having this campaign be out of our hands with the game to go is actually quite quite hard to take. Um but look, you know, we'll just we'll keep fighting. Um and it's kind of in our blood really as 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 Welsh. So, you know, we it's not over till it's over and until that moment, um, yeah, we'll just give everything we've got.
1: So much more I wanted to talk to you about. Food banks and the work you've been doing. <laughs> Jane Ludlow and what she's like as a coach as well. But we'll just have to save that for mm-hmm. another day. And it means you have to come on Women's Football Weekly again, which for us is absolutely fine. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, it would be lovely to have you back. We've not even had a chance to talk about Casey Stoney and the Everton game being called off in the Conti Cup or uh, London City Lionesses uh, head coach Lisa Fallon stepping down for family reasons. Or the championship, which is really exciting and tight at the moment. but. It just means we'll have to save it for next week instead. Pleasure to have you with us. Thanks to Jess Fishlock, Molly McKelvey and Kelly Simmons and, of course, all of you for calling in and giving us your thoughts. Uh, Women's Football Weekend is coming up with tantalising Manchester, Birmingham and London Derby. So we'll be rounding up another week of WSL action and bringing you all the latest news and views. Next here on Talksport 2, it's Talk Wrestling with Alex McCarthy and Will Gavin
2: on DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker.
4: Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the home for women's football. <laughs>